Father, again, uh, we just pray, uh, yeah, we exalt you. And that's what we want to do this morning. Uh, Lord, thank you for Luke and his willingness to come and share the message that you've put on his heart. And Lord, we just pray that you'll give him uh, clarity of thought and mind as he, as he does that. And Lord, just pray that we would have hearts open to hear what you want to say to us. Uh, and that we'll be willing to be moulded and changed uh, by your word. Lord, uh, um, yeah, again, thank you for, for Luke's passion for, for you and for your word. And we just pray that uh, um, uh, it changes us this morning. We just pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hello. Yes. Um, yeah, so today we'll look at Psalm 97. Um, and it's likely, not certain, but it's, uh, it's likely from the next one that um, it's part of a liturgy uh, that was used in Old Israel uh, that includes the other Psalms in around about the 90s. Um, not the 1990s, but Psalm 90s and so on. Uh, like in Psalm 95, it says, Come, let us sing. Uh, so maybe that was for a festival celebration related to kingship. And in the middle of it, we've got Psalms 97, and right on either side of it, 96 and 98, and Dan very kindly read out 96 for us today, are mirroring each other, and they're both saying, God is going to come and judge the earth. And then in the middle of them, we've got 97, which has got the most vivid and direct description of God coming and judging. Um, and poetry, as we know, often has structure. And the structure of this one, we could say that uh, verse 1 to 6 is uh, on the top, and then verse 8 to 12 is at the bottom, and they're kind of balancing each other. And 1 to 6 says, it's got the earth and the heavens, and it says, rejoice and be glad. Then 8 to 12 has got Zion and the daughters of Judah, and it says, be glad and rejoice. And then right in the middle, it says, shame on idolaters. Uh, and these points are very finely balanced. Um, 1 to 6 has 42 Hebrew words, and 8 to 12 has 43. Now let's read the psalm in just keeping this structure in mind. The Lord reigns. Let the earth rejoice. Let the many coastlands be glad. Clouds and thick darkness are all around him. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. Fire goes before him and burns up his adversaries all around. His lightnings light up the world. The earth sees and trembles. The mountains melt like wax before the Lord, before the Lord of all the earth. The heavens proclaim his righteousness and all the people see his glory all worshippers of images are put to shame who make their boast in worthless idols. Worship him, all you gods. Verse 8, Zion hears and is glad, and the daughters of Judah rejoice because of your judgments, O Lord. For you, O Lord, we've just been singing this, haven't we? For you, O Lord, are most high over all the earth. You are exalted far above all gods. O oh, you who love the Lord, hate evil. He preserves the lives of his saints. He delivers them from the hand of the wicked. Light is sown for the righteous and joy for the upright in heart. Rejoice in the Lord. 
O you righteous, and give thanks to his holy name. Now, poetry often gives us many things that we can visualize. So how we're going to approach this today is we're going to make a list of a lot of things in the psalm that we're able to visualize and just go through them. And at the same time, we'll be going through the first half of the verses and jumping ahead as appropriate to the second half, and that way we'll cover it. Okay, let the many coastlands be glad. Well, why coastlands? Uh, Nowadays, you can fly in a plane from any one place to any other place. It doesn't make much difference if it's a coastland or not, as much as it used to. Um, But before planes, um, if you lived deep in the inland of one body of land, then the only way that you're ever going to hear about somebody deep in the inland of another body of land was through the coastlands in the middle. Here's a pretty picture of a coastland, and here's a little coastland running around there. Yeah, so the port cities would be very important. Um, And the ancient world was more international and more connected than we would give it credit for. But if you did hear about the inland of another continent, it would be through that coastland. So the coastland is not the place where you have your beach vacation. It's Uh, It makes you think of the whole international scene. Like Psalm 96 that um, Dan read out, sing to the Lord, Lord, all the earth. Now let's picture thunder and a throne and fire and lightning and mountains and the Lord's presence and the Lord's coming uh, is spoken of in terms of a storm also. And I'm going to read a couple of other great passages in the Psalms which have this. Uh, Psalm 29, a few verses from it. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The, The God of glory thunders. The voice of the Lord flashes forth flames of fire. The Lord sits enthroned over the flood. The Lord sits enthroned as king forever. In Psalm 18, starting at verse 9, the Lord bowed the heavens and came down. Thick darkness was under his feet. He rode on a cherub and flew. He came swiftly on the wings of the wind. By the way, a cherub is not a baby angel. It's a very awesome angel. He made darkness his covering, his canopy around him, thick clouds dark with water. Out of the brightness before him, hailstones and coals of fire broke through his clouds. The Lord also thundered in the heavens, and the Most High uttered his voice, hailstones and coals of fire. Storms were about one of the most powerful things the ancients ever experienced. And for us too, uh, bad weather is pretty up there in terms of powerful things that we know about, as we've seen on the news with Auckland and the Coromandel recently. So it's fitting that they described God's power and presence in terms of a storm. Now to the Canaanites, Baal was the storm god, and they would often refer to him as the Most High. Uh, But Psalms like this, they challenge that, and they say, no, uh, God, the true God of Israel, is the Lord of the storm, and he is the real Most High. So this psalm, it brings together joy, let's rejoice, and also judgment and authority. Now, the joy is because the authority is good and the judgment is right. 
It's righteousness and justice that are the foundation of God's throne, in verse 2. Um, and the judgment is also um, a rescue. Now think of the Exodus, Israel being rescued from Egypt and brought up out of Egypt from being stuck there. And at the same time, the Egyptians and Pharaoh are being judged. So it's the very judgment of them that means the rescue of the, is the children of Israel. And uh, skip ahead to the, the verse 10. He delivers his saints. Well, not every saint is delivered from every danger all the time right now. But in the final judgment, all, they'll all be resurrected and they'll all be vindicated. So that's something to be joyful about, right? That's why we're joyful about judgment. Judgment is a rescue. It's a vindication. Let's talk about thunder. So isn't darkness supposed to be bad? Well, it's often a symbol for evil, but not here. Here it's dark clouds, and God's riding the storm, as we've seen. And in Israel's history, the presence of God often comes with a cloud, and the cloud veils His glory because it's just too great for us. We're going to spend a fair amount of time on this because this is key, and uh, look at a passage that, uh, has this in Exodus 19, starting verse 16. So uh, Israel is encamped near to Mount Sinai. And on the morning of the third day, thunder roared and lightning flashed, and a dense cloud came down on the mountain. There was a long, loud blast on the ram's horn, and all the people trembled. Moses led them out from the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. All of Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord had descended on it in the form of fire. The smoke billowed into the sky like smoke from a brick kiln, and the whole mountain shook violently. At the blast of the ram's horn grew louder and louder. Moses spoke, and God thundered his reply. The Lord came down on the top of Mount Sinai and called Moses to the top of the mountain. So Moses climbed the mountain. And then God gives them instructions to make the tent of meeting, meeting with God. They make the tent, and the tent is all finished. And in chapter 40, the tent is all finished, and the cloud covered the tabernacle, the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses could no longer enter it because the cloud had settled down over it, and the glory of the Lord filled it. And then later on, when they build the temple, which is like the tabernacle, but it's a building, the same thing happens. A cloud comes down as the Lord's glory fills the temple. And I also want to read, uh, without comment, a verse from a hymn you might know, Immortal Invisible, a great hymn. And one verse of it says, Great Father of glory, pure Father of light, thine angels adore thee, all veiling their sight. All praise we would render, oh, help us to see, tis only the splendor of light hideth thee. So in the storm, we're thinking of God's throne. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. God is the king, and he has the authority to judge. Now, Elizabeth II was given a sword at her coronation. And uh, I guess Charles III will soon be given one. And in the psalm, 
we don't see God with a sword, but we see him with fire, and fire is what he can use to judge. It speaks of judgment. For our monarch uh, in England, that may be largely ceremonial, but with God, his power is very real. Um, So in the ancient Near East, uh, the king and the people would make a covenant, make a promise. He'll be a king and they'll be a good people. Um, And a good king is a king who keeps that promise. A good king is a promise keeper. And God is righteous because he keeps his promise to be a good king. He fulfills his commitment by ruling in a good way and in a just way. And uh, the NIV Study Bible has a good note. It says that the whole idea of a throne being established by righteousness and justice was proverbial in Israel. So what better place to look for it than in Proverbs? In in Proverbs 25.5, the king's throne will be established in righteousness. In 29.14, if a king faithfully judges the poor, his throne will be established forever. Remember that uh, we read a couple of other psalms which talked about the storm before. One of them was Psalm 18. And what that was actually talking about was uh, King David was talking about God coming to rescue him. He was drowning in all his enemies and God came in this big storm poetically to rescue him. So that's the king in that psalm. Um, So Obviously, they love this theme of God saving the king. Um, The anthem of England is God save the king. And that's that's a quote from the psalm, Psalm 20. But other psalms also rescue with God not always saving the king. Uh, Like Psalm 89, it says, well, you know, the monarchy has fallen. God, what are you doing? And part of the answer to that is, God saves the king, and God is the king. It's both and. It's, uh, in addition to the Davidic king, there's this growing appreciation of a divine king. Let's talk about the mountains. Uh, mountains often mean three things in Scripture. Uh, they can mean something very enduring. The very, they look like the very pillars of creation. Um, in Psalm 96, which Dan read out, it talked about how gloriously, firmly established the earth is. And that's to God's credit. He, he made it so firmly. Another thing about mountains is uh, that's where you build fortresses. That's very important. There's a very real threat of raids or invasions. And the third thing was that they're places of worship. Uh, We know that Moses and Israel met with God on Mount Sinai. Also in the Bible, they're often places of false God worship. And the prophets are always saying how bad it is that people are going to the high places to worship false gods. Well, if this psalm tells us the mountains melt like wax before the Lord, then um, however we're thinking of mountains... It's telling us that God is supreme. He's more enduring than the very pillars of his own creation. He's stronger than fortresses, stronger than whatever we might have for safety or our security. 
and he's high above all supposed gods. Uh, as in the later verse, you are exalted far above all gods. And finally, let's talk about the heavens. The heavens proclaim his righteousness. Now, the Bible proclaims to us uh, God's message, and Christ reveals God to us, but uh, for whoever has not heard of those proclamations, there are still the heavens. Um, Whether you do or don't have the Bible or have heard of Christ, you have God's creation all around you, and you've got the sky above you. You can just look up, and it's there. You can see his amazing work. Nobody is, no one's responsible to know everything about God, but we're responsible to know what we can. We're responsible at least to look up and see the sky and appreciate that there's a creator. Um, here's some photos of the sky over Hamilton, uh, taken by my dad. And I want to read uh, Psalm 19, 1 and 4. It says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Their voice, as the voice of the heavens, goes out to all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. Everybody's heard it. And in Romans 1.20, Paul makes a similar point. So every, ever since the world was created, People have seen the earth and sky. Through everything God has made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature. So they have no excuse for not knowing God. Well, Paul says uh, the skies are showing God's power, his divine nature. And in our psalm today, the heavens are showing his righteousness. How do the heavens show God's righteousness? Well, the heavens show us day and night and the seasons, and the seasons bring us the bounty of the harvest. So God's bountifully, he's showing his goodness by providing that, and he's also showing his consistency and his ability to keep promises by the the steady, continuing uh, repetition of the day and the night and the seasons. Let's talk about idols. So people have no excuse for not knowing God. We should acknowledge him, at least seeing the heavens, acknowledging him as the creator, someone who created us, not someone that we created, not someone that we we created with our hands, like a wooden idol, and not someone that we thought up with our minds. Catch the tone of verses 6 and 7. So we're seeing God's glory... And all worshippers of images are put to shame, those who make their boast in worthless idols. Worship him, all you gods. Remember, this is that little part in the middle with a scornful tone. And uh, right after it, we go back to the tone of rejoicing in our second half. And we've covered a lot of that second half already by jumping ahead. But I want to cover a couple of turns of phrase which might be unfamiliar. The daughters of Judah. So Judah is one of the tribes of Israel, and after Israel split, Judah became the southern part, the southern kingdom. Uh, So Judah is that territory of that tribe, and its capital is Jerusalem, which has 
the hill of Zion. And the daughters of Judah are the surrounding towns that belong to it. And I also want to talk about uh, the verse that says, Light is sown for the righteous and joy for the upright in heart. So sowing is scattering seeds on the ground. And in that world where pretty much everyone did farming, um, farming made its way into their language a lot. For example, the prophet Hosea talked about sowing. He said, you should sow righteousness and then you can harvest love. And in another place he says, watch out if you sow the wind because then you'll reap the whirlwind. You'll harvest the whirlwind. And reap the whirlwind made its way into English as a a phrase that means uh, to face terrible consequences. So I do like how the, the ESV, which I've been using for the psalm, it has daughters of Judah and it has light as sown, Um, And it shows something of the rich way that psalmists wrote. But if in your translation you have towns of Judah and uh, light shines or light dawns, that's also great because light is sown and daughters of Judah is not clear English. And clarity is a very important translation priority. So it's a trade-off and different translations have different strengths. But the NLT which has light shines, is great, and I love it, and I love the ESV as well. So if I was to pick one thing as a takeaway today to remember from all of this, it's rejoice. And it's a call to what I'm going to call a solid joy, not like a frothy, shallow joy. So a frothy, shallow joy is maybe, for example, uh, being flippant or careless or, or selfish, uh, selfishly focused on happiness. And, and maybe the opposite of that is being very grumpy and gloomy. And, you know, especially if you're focusing on morals, it's very easy to be grumpy and gloomy. But it takes the wisdom from this psalm and from many other scriptures to, to teach us to be serious and joyful. And then you have a solid joy, a very heavy, very reasonable joy. And it gives us a reason for the joy is that God's authority is good and God will judge justly. It's not a naive joy because uh, when we don't ignore the unpleasant realities, um, like there is such a thing as idol worship and it's shameful. And uh, in one of the verses of the psalm, we hate evil. Um, we know that there is much authority that is misused, whether it's from a a boss or a king or a a prime minister or a head of a household. uh, But we know that at the very top of the tree of authority, the Most High is good and He has good authority. O you who love the Lord, hate evil and rejoice O you righteous. His judgment is a rescue. It's a vindication. And his rule is a faithful keeping of a promise. So let this psalm help us to have a very gutsy kind of joy. All right, let's pray. Father in heaven, we hear your call to rejoice. 
and with good reason. You are the king, you judge, and one day uh, you will carry out the final judgment, and you are good and just. Lord, you steadily give us the seasons, the day, the night. You're a faithful, promise-keeping king and God. And you are the true Most High over all the earth. We thank and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. 